I'm hacking capitalism to make a more connected world. We've got to use this technological power, this power of business, creative power, and we've got to take on some big problems. Maturist atheism says there is no meaning in this universe. Consciousness is just an illusion of some brain cells because bottom-up reductionism says it can't exist. What is purpose? Well, purpose is what I call love in action. It's that loving kindness that comes out into, right, I'm now going to deal with this community issue. I'm now going to take on a bigger social problem than I was before. And until we can access purpose within and keep it stable within us, I guess, that control and protect mode little monkey will keep going, ah, but forget the purpose. Let's just, you know, make another million because that'll be really cool. Then we'll be loved, you know. Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Nick Jankel. He's a serial entrepreneur and he just wrote a book called Spiritual Atheist. In this episode, we discuss consciousness hacking and what it takes to be able to hack your own consciousness, be a spiritual person without necessarily having to give in to any ideology or religion. So please stay tuned. This is an amazing episode if you're interested in how you can shift your perspective and be more aware and more conscious and really follow your intention and figure out what your purpose is in life. Stay tuned. Hey, Hacker. Sorry to interrupt this great podcast. It's David Smook, founder and CEO of Hacker Noon, and we're raising money for the first time, and we're doing it from the people. If you want to buy shares in Hacker Noon, visit HackerNoonShares.com. Help us make the best place for tech professionals to publish. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Nick. Hey, Nick, tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Small question, big answer. So in my sort of day job, I spend a lot of time doing keynotes for organizations, companies, working with their senior leaders, trying to get them to become more transformational in what they do and how they do it. And I have a kind of, I guess, underground career in what I would call practical philosophy and trying to think about the problems we're facing as a world, as individuals, and how we can think and feel differently to solve those problems for ourselves, but also for others. And that takes me into conversations as wide as technology for good and blockchain for good, right through to what's happening with identity politics and the new left and the far left and the alt left and the alt right, as well as what consciousness is and and how we can understand more about ourselves ultimately so we can make a bigger difference out there in the material world. Awesome. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what led you down this path? Because you were an entrepreneur, you, you had some success pretty early on, and then you kind of shifted. Yeah, I had the curse of early success. I set up my first business when I was 24. I read the Clue Trade Manifesto, uh, which can be found online. And it sort of blew my mind a little bit, like technology, communication of people, of ideas, of, of no longer boundaries, all that kind of stuff. And I realized it was huge. It was world historical in nature. But I wasn't a technologist. So I, I, uh, I was a creative strategist. I was a, that kind of role thinker planner there was no such thing as an innovation consultancy at the time but that's what we became we helped dot coms and tech companies understand what they were actually offering and their uh, brand and their customer proposition and their ux and then we helped big companies invent new whole new businesses and that was awesome and amazing and brilliant built up a team was very successful multi-million on paper all the you know blah blah yada yada virgin atlantic gold cars black amex cards all the stuff i thought i wanted and then Around the time of my 30th birthday, a number of things happened. They weren't particularly huge things, but it basically precipitated a bit of a meltdown in me. I mean, most people call it a burnout. 
Mm. And that was definitely the sort of surface layer of it. It was an entrepreneurial burnout. But, you know, deepening into that, what it really was, I realized I, my heart was broken by my own way of being, like the manager I was, the leader I was, but also in some ways the, the products I was helping create, the, the, the services I was inventing. And they weren't really aligned with my deepest, deepest values. I wasn't even sure what they, my deepest, deepest values were. So I took that opportunity of burnout to go, I guess, two things. One, I will never burn out again. I don't want this anymore. I don't want, when I say burnout, I mean depression, anxiety, panic attacks, what have been plaguing me since I was probably seven or eight. I was like, I don't want this anymore. I need, I've got to find, there must be a way out of this for myself, number one. And then I was like, okay, and I, I want to spend my career, my life's blood of my existence, of my time on being part of the solution, whatever that means. So that was around 30, deep, deep dived for a while. Lucky I didn't have any kids at the time and, and I had a bit of money from the business. So I had a few years to really get into things, got into social entrepreneurship, got into new forms of organization. And then over time, I realized that my core skill had always been, as an innovation guy, as a brand guy, my core skill had always been, what's that part of someone, the insight into the human being that opens up a business idea? I just understood people, I understood humanity. And I realized what I wanted to do was just flip the way I was using it. So rather than using it to find bits of people that aren't happy, so we can then market stuff that no one really needs and use up all the earth's reserves and churn out some carbon. I was like, okay, how do I find the bit of people that's in pain and then help them solve that pain and heal that pain? And then as they become more whole to become a better leader and purpose-driven business person, entrepreneur, whatever. So that's kind of like, that's like 15 years contracted into a little period but it was only when i was actually writing this book which is uh, uh spiritual atheist my new book which is much more autobiographical than anything i've ever written before and with that came a lot of risk and vulnerability but yeah. one of the things i when you write an autobiography of some sort a memoir i don't know whatever you call it you learn a lot about your own story right because you're sort of formulating it and i realized when i studied medicine originally as a, as a scientist i wanted to be a, a doctor and i studied medicine and i wanted to be a psychiatrist psychiatry literally means the healing of soul and for whatever reason i got out of psychiatry got out of medicine and got into this uh, you know advertising and then branding and innovation game but i realized ah when you do work as a transformational coach wisdom teacher leadership coach whatever keynote speaker you're essentially doing healing of the soul right so i kind of realized like this 30-year journey like taking me back to where i was already been but through like very strange routes so what does it mean to you? We talk about words like soul and ego and like, I, I feel like everyone kind of has their own definition of these terms. Can you kind of define, you know, what these terms mean for you and, you know, how that kind of translate into what's in your, your latest book and what you're working on now? Right. So I don't use the word ego very much because there's so many different terms. There's a Freudian version of it and there's the kind of spiritual version of it. Again, I never use the word soul because I really don't know what that is. Like, like, I just don't know. So I have one of those kind of things that I will happily conjecture about anything, reincarnation, the, you know, whatever. But my life's work is about the practical stuff that helps, which includes understanding your own consciousness and includes mystical experience. But I don't go much beyond some of that. For example, I could happily have an evening meal and talk about whether intuition is the same as being spoken to by an entity, a uh, spirit guide. Mm. happy to discuss that but when i'm teaching i don't go there i'm like doesn't matter whether you think it's a spirit guide the voice of jesus a shamanic plant talking to you or just plain old intuition what's important is that you learn how to discern that from your own anger and fear within and then learn when to act on it 
that's the important thing. So with that in mind, I tend to talk in, in slightly different ways. So I talk about, in all my work, these two modes of human existence, which I hope might answer the question. One is called control and protect mode. And uh, it's a great thing. Um, it defends us against stuff. It helps us control a crazy world. It starts to learn rules about how to survive and how to succeed. Really awesome, but it's not all we've got. And then I call about this other mode, um, create and connect mode. And that's about empathy, about being present to people. It doesn't care about numbers and metrics and money. It just cares about who am I being and who are you being? And, and let's be connected right now. And they're both awesome. Like obviously you can see in one of those, there's kind of understanding of ego in the create and connect mode there's kind of an understanding of of essence or whatever you might call that whatever spiritual or wisdom path or language you want from that but the reason i use those language is very important because i spend a lot of my time in the sort of grown-up world of big companies and and uh, political leaders and and people who don't want to hear weirdy beardy woo woo stuff and if i do start talking about that i'll lose them but it's also not really honest to me i'm i was never really a new age or i never really just didn't do anything for me and in fact that was part of my issue as a kid is i didn't have any access to wisdom because all i saw was either religion or I saw this sort of hippie thing that just didn't really do anything for me. And I didn't realize there was something beneath both of them, which was much more important. So we've got this control mode or, and create mode. And, and that's really the architecture of, of how I try and teach wisdom. And what's interesting is you can find these two modes in the latest neuroscience of brain networks, default mode network, it's divergent thinking, it's, it's open, it's curious. And then the con executive control network, which is very convergent thinking and, and rule-based and, and whatever. And then also, as I have discovered over the years, you could also find this being mentioned in various different traditions. So there's a Taoist understanding that there's something called the mind of Tao, and then there's the human mind. So the human mind, uh, uh, the earthly mind is the mind of control and protect, get stuff done, deal with getting fish for dinner. And then there's the mind of Tao, which is that deep, intuitive, connected mind. And the joy and the pain and the challenge of life is to know which one to use at which moments. That also means knowing which you're in in any given moment. And it also knows how to, how to get out of them. And that's the, that's the secret of life. Today's podcast is sponsored by Startup Circle. If you're an entrepreneur and have questions or need guidance, StartupCircle.co hosts free daily live Q&A sessions with successful founders to provide you with all the support you need to move your idea or business forward. Sessions are limited to a maximum of three attendees so you can get personalized advice. Join your first session at StartupCircle.co. It takes a minute and it's free. And the hard part there is identifying it. I, that's been my own personal struggle in like in learning and exploring a lot of this stuff is exactly. being able to identify in the moment, oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm in that state of mind. I'm in this kind of mindset. Oh, you know, like I'm being a fixed thinker here. Or, oh, I'm being, okay, now I need to look at this from a growth mindset. What's my perspective if I view it from this angle? And kind of look at things from multiple perspectives. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording that there's there's ways to do this with uh, both meditation. There's ways to do this uh, with psychedelics. There's multiple ways to kind of shift your perspective. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, ultimately, we all have to find our own, what I would call wisdom practice mm -hmm. to first find that create and connect mode and really understand it. And then get us back there when we're just caught up in our own dramas of, of uh, how many app downloads we've got or fill in your own version of that. We've all got one, right? Yeah. And as you've already identified, what's very wily about this control and protect mode is it will take what might look like 
beautiful, cool, groovy, creative habits, and it will suck them over into its role of controlling and protecting, which is brilliant, but also really something to watch for. So, so, so control and protect mode will take meditation and go, great, I'm not going to meditate really productively. I'm going to get something out of it. And if I'm not, I'm really going to be frustrated by that. And I'm going to use it to be more efficient. And I'm going to get with people at work using it to be more efficient, dot, dot, dot. We're just back in the same yeah. mess we were in just using a bigger shovel so <laughs> everyone's got to find their own roots and i don't tend to teach people much about the roots but i do mention them in the book and i mention them in all my work so i would broadly like to sort of categorize the roots to connection the sense of connection the sense of feeling really at peace and at one with everything there are hot modes and there's there's a cool mode so the cool mode is when you sort of quieten that noisy protecting language and that's meditation, that might be walking in nature, that might be connecting with your dog, whatever. That's kind of the cool mode. And it quietens the noise down. And then there's the hot mode, which is making it so hot in there that it sort of burns it off. That's the ecstatic dance, the five rhythms, the raving. Uh, so, you know, clubbing was a big part of my journey was, was just being on a dance floor and just being so fully in that sort of tribal moment that I just blended out into the unity. And there are ways that take that are more intense and non-negotiable so the psychedelics are, are often brought up uh, whether it's ayahuasca or whether it's psilocybin or any of these roots they're kind of non-negotiable you know you take one of those things there's not much you can do you're going down some rabbit hole whether you like it or not and there's something joyful about that and there's also something that can be quite challenging about that i'm not recommending any of these things that you know this is someone everyone's going to make their own choices but they're very powerful technologies um that are available but you know good old-fashioned you know meditation is, is really Awesome, you know, it's like, and then, and as I've got older, I've definitely become more and more happy with the subtle rather than the super intense hit me over the head and drag me into connection. Have you played with like breathing techniques or anything yeah. like that? Breathing. A lot of my work now when I'm teaching is about just really getting into your different parts of your body, feeling what's happening in your gut and not ignoring it and not trying to suppress it, feeling that pain in your right calf, feeling that little flutter that's going on because you're about to go on a podcast. You know, that, those are the kind of things that becoming really, really aware of the intelligence that your body will give you, that you're in some kind of mode that maybe not is helpful for you breathing is the, always the the sort of killer you know it's the it's as you know biologically it's the place where your autonomic nervous system and your consciousness overlap so if you literally old-fashioned count to 10 and breathe deep before you write an email before you talk to your boyfriend girlfriend you know child it makes a difference it really mm -hmm. does super simple so you've got this amazing threat you know spectrum from very cool calm I always think of sort of misty Chinese mountains, you know, Qigong and meditation and Zen. And you've got this super hot sort of Indian, sweaty, raving, ecstatic, Kali, whatever energy. And everyone gets to choose where they're at. And what I've noticed also is when I'm listening to people who, who are coming to me for, for workshops or whatever, is these different traditions, different activities sort of appeal to us at different times of our lives. And so, you know, as you know, you told me earlier you were into Kundalini, and that's a really powerful practice. Kundalini, there's no two ways about it. Um, there's an enormous amount in that in that practice, and that might really engage someone for a couple of years, and then you might go, actually, now I'm feeling like I'm want to go into some sort of uh, vision questing in you know the desert in in New Mexico. That's what I'm going to do for a while. So you know, there's so much out there though. You just got to start somewhere and get involved and and, and commit. But one thing I will say, you've got to have discipline. And there's a, one of the big challenges in, in, I think, the contemporary spiritual scene is what I call the fruit salad 
you know, sort of salad yes. bar approach. I'm going to take the little bit of this thing, the good bit of that, and I'm going to take the good bit of this, but I'm not going to do any of the inner work and the difficult dark nights of the soul and the wrestling with my demon. I'm not going to do that stuff. I'm just going to take all the fun bits. That's, that doesn't work. Just it's a, it's a non a non set. Today's show is sponsored by Startup Circle. If you're an entrepreneur and have questions or need guidance, StartupCircle.co hosts free daily live Q and A sessions with successful founders to provide you with all the support you need to move your idea or business forward. Sessions are limited to a maximum of three attendees, so you can get personalized advice. Join your first session at StartupCircle.co. It takes just a minute, and it's free. You, uh, you definitely have to face your demons if you really want to explore this stuff and, you know, look at, I mean, even myself, I'm going through it just even with, you know, this podcast and learning how to be a better interviewer. You know, there's a element where I have to kind of remove my own ego from the equation. And really it's, it's about the guests, you know, it's amazing to have guests like yourself come on the show and talk about these topics because there's kind of a taboo to talk about some of these things. And the fact of the matter is, you know, these are, these are all human experiences. These are all part of being human, uh, you know, connecting with people like you and I are connecting right now uh, and recording this and sharing it with everyone that we're sharing it with. Like that takes a conscious effort to be able to do this and, you know, deliver it and, you know, talk about these things and be brave enough to be able to say, Hey, yeah, you know, you can try something like a psychedelic, you can do breathing techniques um, you can do these things to kind of shift your consciousness and your perspective of the world. And there are these things that are kind of mystic or woo-woo or however you want to define them. A lot of the times they work. <laughs> There's an inner scientist in me that doesn't quite fully understand some of this stuff that's going like sitting on my shoulder going, hey, you know, what I know of, you know, Western traditional medicine or science, this doesn't make sense. But at the same time, there's another part of me that's experiencing it and having these intense experiences and going, okay, like, you know, I'm feeling energy going up my spine when doing Kundalini uh, that, you know, Western medicine cannot explain. There's a difference between what we can experience as human beings and, you know, what we understand from a scientific standpoint. And they're just at the moment, not the same. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about what happens when you're talking to an executive or CEO of a you know, major Fortune 500 company or a banker uh, that's just like completely closed off to this world that's never heard any of this stuff, you know, or experienced some of these things themselves. And they're just like, you know, that's, you know, that's woo woo. That's crazy talk. Uh, what do you say to that person? Well, I guess I don't get to that point because I just don't do woo-woo. So that's the, the, the main thing is. So a lot of my work, and it's been me 30 years to get to the point where I can write these books and talk like this with this clarity, for, for when I think it's clarity, and everyone might not agree, um, is because I never did woo-woo. I just don't do it. I never liked it. Just, it was like, you know, I like Danish mid-century furniture. I like uh, beautiful boutique hotels. I like Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. You know, that's my aesthetic. <laughs> and one of the things I talk about in this book is don't let the aesthetic of new age woo woo stuff block you from what's actually inside the box. And a lot of that aesthetic, you just don't need. You don't have to read books with Tao Te Ching stuff. You don't have to have any dolphins. You don't have to have anything tattooed on you. You can just have none of that. Absolutely. I don't have any of that. Yet you can still access this unbelievably important mystical experience of, of unity, of, of love, ultimately. And in many ways, ways I wrote that this book because I was a scientist and I had my own, I had years of my own blockage 
to getting this stuff, like years, way more years than most. Uh, I come from England where it's, people are super atheist here and it's super like anti-woo-woo, like not just like woo-woo agnostic, they're like, you know, I'm gonna shut that down, I'm gonna destroy it, it's the worst thing, it's like evil. Um, and I went to, I talk about, I talk about Cambridge University where I studied science is the, is the altar of atheism. It's like you go there and you pray to atheists at, you know, clarity and reason and all this sort of stuff. So it took me a long time to get to a point where I can use, I can ac access it myself and then talk about it to other people like the C-suite of a, you know, a Fortune 500, Fortune 100. And when you talk about it with the right grammar and when you act it, when you embody it in your own heart and your own being and who you're being in that moment, and you're not a crack crackpot and you're not, uh, you know, talking about destroying capitalism tomorrow. You know, that's another conversation. But, uh, you know, people, when you are honoring them and you're honoring the fact that we want to be productive and we want to be efficient and we want to do some cool stuff in the real world. But we also want to do it from some purpose and some connection and some love and some openness. We want to have empathy. We don't want to be an a-hole boss. People are like, totally get it. Love it. Come talk to my team. So, I've, But that's taken me a long time. I'm 40 for um and i've only just probably been able to start really engaging with those c-suite people in a way that like they can hear me um and, and i can really speak to them and um it was a big risk for me publishing this book with the word with the s word in the title spiritual uh, yeah. i don't really know what spiritual really means so it's a difficult word to really put in anything um but the book was basically saying I mean, it's kind of like, I love that image you had of this little scientist guy here. And this, you know, those, those are the two modes. You've got reason, logic, tell me the answer. I can only, only want proof. And you've got this other sort of like connected part. Oh, I'm having this flashback to that movie where, uh, was it Matthew Broderick? He's making, having sex with a woman at university. <laughs> uh, classic movies, maybe Animal House, Kramer. And one of the guys going like, fuck her, fuck her brains out. I say, no, no, take her on a date and love her forever. You know, those are those two modes again, right? And... There are some things, and particularly the mystical experience of oneness, that you can explain away as exotic brain states. If you want to, if you want to be wedded to an atheistic, materialist view of the world, you can say that, you know what, all that stuff people talk about when they go to Peru and when they do Kundalini and whatever, it's just weird brain states and it's nothing real about it. You can believe that, but it's ideological. It's not, you can't prove it. You can't ever do a science study and prove it. It's a, it's a philosophy, so it's your ideology. And mine is, okay, I've had it so many times and it's so powerful experience. It's changed everything in my life. Like I really, over 10 years, I had to reorient all my thoughts about education, business, capitalism, politics around that one experience. Mm -hmm. It was so powerful. That um, I believe it's the fundamental truth of existence. And the question is, what helps you thrive more? Like, let's be really practical. What helps you thrive more? What helps the species survive the next 20 years of existential global risks? You know, and I'm pretty sure I know what my answer is. Um, and I don't think there's anyone who really fundamentally doesn't agree with that. But I think what has happened, in the, certainly in the capitalist system, in the business system, is no, there's no language to talk about anything other than productivity. Mm -hmm. And... I guess what the deeper level of this book, which I'm only really realizing now it's I finished writing it and I'm writing sort of articles based upon what I'm, some of the philosophy in it, is because I set up this, what I call a dual aspect philosophy that sees consciousness and matter as two parts of one reality. There's an inner and an outer and there always will be, whether it's an atom or whether it's a business, there's an inner experience of it, culture, and there's an outer experience, which is product, sales, whatever you want to call that. Um, I'm starting to realize that what I'm actually doing is giving us a language and a, a sort of 
metaphor for understanding all the stuff that you can't measure, but which is really important. Like, is there meaning in our business? If you believe in materialist science, there can be no meaning in the universe. That's the whole point of it. It says there's a meaningless universe. And that's not an experience I found very happy as an 18-year-old in Africa, falling on my knees, feeling the nihilism of my materialist atheist view. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, I'm on the abyss of madness. <laughs> I pulled myself back because I was like, well, there's got to be some meaning, but I couldn't, I didn't have permission to even think about meaning because atheism says, well, materialist atheism, not spiritual atheism. Materialist atheism says there is no meaning in this universe. Consciousness is just an illusion of some brain cells because bottom-up reductionism says it can't exist. And that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But then... How, on the other hand, you've got sort of a lot of new ages saying, well, only consciousness exists. What does matter? Who cares? You know, who cares about the children being abused right now? Who cares about hungry, starving people in Yemen? Let's just meditate. It's like, well, no, that doesn't make sense to me either. So let, how do you bring it together? And that's what this whole, my whole work is now, I've realized been about is how do I bring the best in material science, which is amazing at studying matter. It's the best thing we know to study atoms, code whatever it is it's the best thing and then you've got this amazing inner technology wisdom materials and technologies of going inside which is amazing at, at understanding consciousness and we've got to bring them together mm. because we've got a world right now which is so heavily geared towards materialism that with we're floundering and the sort of hippie idealistic all consciousness no matter hasn't worked just has not worked. It doesn't, it's, it was great in the 60s. It's, you know, had a little burst recently. But most of the people I work with, they don't want to go and live in, in Peru. You know, they want to do stuff in the real world, but they, want, they want to do it with purpose and they want to do it with love and they want to do it with empathy and they want to do it with connection. And that's the key. That's, the, that's the, what we need to bring more of back into the business world and the political world. And so what is it, uh, you know, can you dive a little bit, like, what were some of these experiences for you? Like, did you have what you would consider, like, a spiritual awakening? Um, you know, what, what was that moment like for you? There was definitely, I mean, these things are, people like to talk about the big moment. And there are definitely big moments, epiphanies, openings. Mm. And there are lots of really quotidian every day, like, oh, yeah, I'm all one with the universe. Okay, great. Now get back to, get back to work unafraid. Um, and they're both important. It's a bit like in my innovation work, there's breakthrough transformation, disruptive innovations. And then to make them actually happen, you have you need to have like a hundred tiny little changes in your UX and your and your UI and your stack to make it actually the big disruptive idea work. It's a bit like the same for people. So there was a moment, um, and it's a bit hackneyed and cliched, but I have to share it with you because you asked. There was a moment after my burnout where I was in Goa in India and I had a found shamanic experience and I basically my ego my control and protect mode just went zick and died for like I don't know how long it was because obviously I wasn't really there to count but I had a moment where I was like I am absolutely one with consciousness with this entire universe that's always been and always will be I've lived through the whole thing and ran the other end and back again it's all happened in a few seconds I think and I came back from that experience I remember very vividly I was in the most laughter, joyous, I literally was laughing, but I was also really crying. I remember saying to my buddy and colleague at the time, Tom, I said, um, I know why the Buddha laughs and cries <laughs> at the same time. And that was it. That was like the big, that was like the moment where from that moment, I was never really in doubt again. I had what one of, uh, one of my great inspirations, a guy called A.H. Almas talks about, he's a psychologist and a, and a Sufi uh, adept. 
um, and he talks about it was no longer a belief for me. It was just knowledge. It was just trust, what he calls basic trust. Um, and that was, pro I guess that was 12, 13 years ago. And from that, you know, I've had moments of doubt, but not really. Like that was the moment where I was like, this is the one truth that all other truths are um, versions of. Up until that point, I'd been kind of, I was a modernist scientist and I'd become totally got excited by postmodernism and relativism and nothing. There is no truth and stop telling me your scientific narrative of the world because you're diminishing my being and you're, you know, and postmodernism is a scary place to be because it's everything's relative, everything's up for grabs and, you know, and this was what I was like, okay, there are no big human narratives. We've got to criticize everything, you know, colonialism and gender and patriarchy, all that stuff, which is going crazy at the moment. And then I just went bang, but there is one truth mm -hmm. that is capital T, you know, that is, that is, we are all one. And the experience of that oneness, we call in human language, love. I don't know what love is. It's just, it's the word we use to describe the feeling of connection. Um, that's what I think. And that was probably the, the sort of, you know, that was the kind of awake, you know, the, the, um, oh, what I reading, reading recently, it's an Augustine, you know, his confessions and mm -hmm. he had a similar moment. He was like, and no long, and from that moment, you know, you can no longer, it's a, it's a, you could be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> At that moment, then you can no longer carry on doing what you've been doing. Well, I wanna, I wanna validate your experience because I've actually had a similar experience myself. I was practicing uh, Wim Hof, it's a breathing yeah. technique. Um, if anyone listening doesn't know what Wim Hof is, please Google it because it's an awesome breathing technique. Um, but, uh, I was practicing Wim Hof. I think it was maybe like the second or third time that I had done it. And I had almost a very similar experience to what you had. Uh, I just started laughing hysterically. Um, I've never had a moment like that before where like, uh, you know, I, I just, I kind of lost control. Like it was just like the, I realized, you know, I, I had this like, you know, I was stuck in kind of a default mode for so long. And then in this moment after doing these breathing techniques, it just released and I started laughing. Like I'm pretty sure tears probably streamed down my face as well. Um, and it, it probably lasted like maybe between five and 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend was looking at me cause she was doing the technique with me and she's like, what the hell is going on with you? And I was like, can't talk right now. Having a moment, um, you know, cause I was, you know, it felt like an eternity. Um, right. even though it was just a few minutes, uh, you know, I was, I was somewhere else. Um, and there was just this release of so many different things that, you know, I'd been through in my life and they just, it all just kind of faded away for a few moments. Mm. And I just got a glimpse of, you know, just another state of being another state of consciousness. Um, so, I mean, I've been there, I've had these experiences. I've since figured out how to use breathing techniques to be able to have these experiences again. Um, yes, that's so the key. Have them again. Have you on them. Yeah, once you have that one moment, uh, you know, it's like trying to get back to that mm. state and to have that experience again is a whole different set of challenges. Um, really because once you've been there once, it's like, I'd like to go back there. Um, it's like a really good vacation. You know, you're like, I, you know, I've experienced something new. I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to spend any money. Uh, yeah. It was something I accessed within my own inner consciousness and my own inner being. Um, but yet at the same time, I also felt that same feeling of oneness kind of with others in the universe. Um, and, you know, love is a great way to describe it. Um, and, you know, it's, it, there's definitely something to it because, you know, again, that 
my, my inner scientist is going, what the hell just happened here? But, you know, we've, we have studied this. Um, we do know, you know, that it's the brain going into a different state of being both Absolutely. physically, uh, and, you know, psychologically. So there's definitely, you know, there, there's an explanation for this and it's just, it's a part of who we are as a species. We have this ability to connect with each other and with the universe and feel these extra, I don't know, intuitive uh, moments and feelings and sensations. Like it's something that is unique about our species that every single person on this planet shares. Whether we know how to access it or not, or we discover it by accident or whatever leads us to figuring it out, uh, you know, it's pretty much different for everyone. But, you know, there is, in my experience, something else there that, you know, we're definitely trying to figure out how to get to. And it sounds like you've written a book, uh, you know, about your own experiences on how you got there and then potentially, you know, what knowledge and wisdom you derive from those experiences and you're trying to share it with others. So I definitely, uh, you know, thank you and commend you for that. Thank you. I just, just, as you said, a whole lot of things just opened up as you spoke. Yeah, go ahead. But one thing I really want to, uh, actually, listeners, viewers, uh, watch if that control and protect mode in you wanted to explain away these experiences. Mm. Uh, exotic brain states, um, reduction, reduce it to some chemical, whatever. You can do that. It's totally up to you. But there is something profoundly truthful about this. And in the, in the scientific project of the human experience, there have been millions of people who have had this same experience. And in fact, I opened the book um, with, I think it's a Rumi quote, who says something like, you know, before I was like you, um, sane, and now I'm mad, you know, I'm a mad mystic, alive with love. <laughs> and um, there is something important. But one thing I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually gonna become more emphatic than what you said about we can go back there. I believe until we know how to go back there, we mm-hmm. can't truly heal ourselves. And until we truly heal ourselves, we can't really be the leader we want to be. And what I mean by that is that experience of connection, of unity, of one, which we can feel as love, is the only thing I've discovered in the history of my study of science, psychology, psychiatry, everything, you know, that is big enough to melt away the pain of trauma. Mm-hmm. which was about separation and disconnection and, and being alone and afraid and hurt and abused or, or neglected or whatever it was. And so we all have lots of trauma, probably way more than we realize. And when I say trauma, I don't necessarily mean some huge big deal that, you know, you write a, a letter to the New York, New York Times about. I mean, all those little moments when you were a kid and when you were a teenager and when you were in your 20s that you didn't have the capacity to cope with at the time. And so you pushed it down and pushed it somewhere. And they come out all the time. And the more you do self-development, the more you do leadership development, the more it comes up because you're pushing yourself to the edge of your capacity as a human being to take on challenges of others and yourself. And so more trauma comes up. And until you know how to get back to that place regularly yourself and use it and harness it to melt away your old habits and patterns and, and moods, you can't be truly free. And that's why really I wrote the book because it, it's, it's not just like, here's a fun thing to go and do, go, go for it. You must book a flight to Peru right now. Uh, you know, go to Burning Man, whatever. You've got to learn how to use it. And it's the greatest, as you said, it's free. It's the greatest undiscussed resource in the human experience is this liquidity that happens when you feel uni- unified and one and you become flexible of mind. You become flexible. Nothing, you don't have to own anything. You don't have to hold on to any, any strategy or case or 
some issue with someone, you just let it all go and go, okay, I'm going to be here with you as a human. Um, I'm going to love you, even if you don't know it, CEO. I'm just going to be here with you, and magic shit happens from that place. And I would argue, you know, just from my perspective, it's not romantic love. So when we say the word love, uh, it's not a romantic love. It's more of a compassion. And for at least for me, from my experience, it was more about having a compassion for myself. Um, Mm -hmm. It was more about loving myself more so than it was necessarily about, uh, you know, a romantic feeling towards another person. It was more about, okay, I've, it was almost like from that moment on, I was able to give myself permission to actually love myself. Yeah. That's probably the and best it has to start there. Yeah, it I has can. to start in self-love. Exactly. And, it's, and I think the, the Buddhists use the term loving kindness as a, as a way of discussing this kind of love. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of carries a bit of compassion, and it, it, but it is quite overwhelming. It's like, wow. And I, this is why I say to my kids most nights to try and bring it to them in a way that, makes sense to them is like you are a child of this universe and you are loved you are wanted you are invited here to serve to be a purpose to heal others to do something of value you belong that's it just the that basic simple you belong you you have a right to take up space not from an angry you know kill the patriarchy you know you're white entitled you know whatever just some absolute overwhelming sense that i have a right to be here i i am okay i i'm loved and then as you get more of that self-love, you start to be able to do more out there in the world. And until that point, your, our resources are so taken up by repressing our own trauma and acting out our patterns and our habits. There's no real space to take on the world's problems. We're just trying to survive. You know, you know, like an image of um, treading water. We're just like, I've just got to keep above the water, go above the water. If I can only get this project done and then I'm going to get this thing promotion. And we're just like keeping up to there. And then you realize, oh, my God, I'm loved by the universe. Not, not, if you don't like the word universe, please use your own word. You don't have to use that word if it sort of gives a little bit of a to you. <laughs> um, but you are loved. And, in, and when you feel that you are loved, uh, whether it's by yourself or by it or by us or by the system, I wanted to call it the, um, <laughs> the uh, Philip K. Dick called it Valis, the vast active living intelligence system. Um, or I think he called it zebra as a kind of joke as well, you know, like it doesn't matter what you call it. Yeah. Um, that's the seed. And then once you've done your own healing, that seed of love comes out as purpose. And so it's really important because you do look a lot about purpose, you know, purposeful tech, purposeful blah blah blah. What is purpose? Well, purpose is what I call love in action. It's that loving kindness that comes out into right. I'm now gonna deal with this community issue. I'm now gonna take on a bigger social problem than I was before. And actually that's you know I, where I kind of end up in the end of this book is, you know, we've got this incredible technology capacity at the moment, the fourth industrial revolution, you know, IoT, AI, um, blockchain. We've got this insane power, but if we use it from that control and protect mode, we'll just use it to make money and create more parking spaces in, in San Francisco. You know, that's my, I actually use that example, you know, as a joke, uh, but not a joke. Uh, we've got to use it for, we've got some serious hefty problems out there. You know, we've got climate change, we've got biodiversity, homelessness, populism, people being shot right now in Thousand Oaks. I mean, it's crazy stuff going on. We've mm. got to use this technological power, this, this, this power of business, creative power, and we've got to take on some big problems. And until we can access purpose within and, and, and keep it stable within us, I guess, that control and protect mode little monkey will, will keep 
going, ah, oh, but forget the purpose. Let's just, you know, make another million because that would be really cool. Then we'll be loved, you know. It's been awesome talking about all this, but I got to ask you, what is some time in your life that you've hacked something? Well, every day I'm hacking my own biology, and that's the, really the key, is I'm hacking my, my fear and, and separation consciousness every day to get back into connection. Um, but right now I'm hacking capitalism. Um, you know, I'm working with very large companies, um, and I am, you know, they kind of know it. I don't think they fully know it, but they kind of know it. I'm hacking capitalism to make a more connected world because until big business makes shifts and changes, everything will just be, you know, it's all small fry. It's all small fish until we, until we do that. So I am gloriously proud to say that I work with very large businesses. I'm not ashamed of that because they're awesome and they've done some great stuff in the world. But I also think their their own um, wiring is wonky, and so I'm hacking it from the inside, as are others. And and uh, you know, the more we can do it together, the faster we can get to whatever it is that we think we want. Awesome. Well, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? <laughs> I mean, just what's coming to me is, is back to that, what we talked about at the beginning, just go out and try some of these technologies, whatever they are, just follow your curiosity, pick up a leaflet. Uh, I mean, just an anecdote, my wife picked up a leaflet in Potrero Hill, I think it was, took her to a conference at Google. I pick up, picked up a leaflet in LA when I was living there. I went to this conference, met her, had children. You know, you've got to pick, you've got to, the signs are there, right? The, the, pick up the signs. The thing you thought was interesting, don't just push it down, go do it. If you don't like it, try something else and you'll meet other people on the way or give you little guides, you know, the hero's journey. So just pick up the signs, go and find a wisdom practice, try it out. And that's probably the, the, you know, the most important thing. For me, it was when I found something that made me uncomfortable is exploring why it made me uncomfortable and continuing to pursue it and see if it still continued to make me uncomfortable if I did it, did it multiple times. Because sometimes... It's like, okay, this makes me uncomfortable because of X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. And other times I realized, hey, you know, I did something that made me uncomfortable, but it was my own ego. It was my own blockage. There was something else that was governing that decision of why I felt that way. And then once I overcame it, it was like a whole new world opened up. God. I mean, when I went to the first five rhythms thing I went to, I was just like, all my like cool hackles were like, run away the music's bad the people's dress is bad you know you're not cool this is not cool london this is not cool new york go and then i went through that and i was like wow i really love dancing sober with other people in the middle of the day connecting with them (laughs) so yeah that discomfort there's good discomfort and there's obviously intuition going stop doing this right now this is not good for you exactly and you gotta figure out the difference between the two you do you gotta figure out but uh, Definitely. it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Where can people find you? Um, so uh, my main place is my website, switchonnow.com. Um, you can go off into leadership stuff. You can go off into personal development. Um, I'm looking at uh, doing something at uh, 1440 um, in Northern California, a workshop in uh, February, I believe. So if you're interested in that, go and find it on their website. Um, my book, Spiritual Atheist, is available everywhere, but Amazon is obviously the easiest place to uh, grab it. Um, and then obviously social, blah, blah, YouTube, all those usual uh, places. Awesome. 
Well, and I definitely invite you to also contribute to Hacker Noon. So feel free to submit your content there. Um, and again, thank you, Nick, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. I know we tackled a wide range of topics, um, but uh, hopefully we uh, created some value for our listeners. Brilliant. Yeah, we, we went far and, far and wide there. <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you. Pleasure. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.